the dawn of civilization. Primitive, dangerous, exciting. The handwriting is on the wall. If the human race is ever going to amount to anything, it needs the most civilized caveman I have ever seen. Ah, look who's come out of his cave. Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in. This is Jones from Cave Dweller Music. Uh, today I have my co-host Brendan with me as usual, and we are joined by the guys from Quamlech. Uh, we have Kevin, Brandon, Jacob, and Roman with us today. Thank you so much for coming on the show, guys. Really appreciate you guys taking the time. Right on. Thanks for having us on. We really appreciate it. Of course. Love, love your music. I was really honored to be able to do PR for the album. I um, think everyone should hear it. If you guys haven't heard it yet, definitely check it out. It is Ascent of Kings. Uh, it's out now on Haitian Firm Records. Um, for anyone who doesn't know you or your music, do you want to just maybe tell us a little bit of what you guys do in the band and maybe just a bit about the band itself? Yeah, sure, Roman. Why don't you take a little uh, the uh, beginning of the intro here? And we'll yeah, yeah that, would, that would make sense. So, <laughs> you know, so basically, uh, the way Cromwell started up was back in, I believe it was 2011. Uh, I was uh, playing in my uh, death black metal project into Oblivion at the time. And so uh, I met uh, the other guitarist, Baron, at a show we did. I knew him through some other friends. Uh, he noticed I had a molested blood drum shirt, and we started uh, talking about, you know, cool bands and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, a little bit later, it was just uh, it was one of those summers where I had a little bit more time than I thought I was going to. And what ended up happening was uh, Baron sends me a message and asked me uh, if I wanted to help him form a band that was, uh, like, solstice bathory man of war and other bands with big balls that's uh, <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly how he phrased it and so uh, and so i okay and so brandon and i have some dif disagreements on uh, our memories of this but then again you know we're all getting old so who can remember uh basically uh at the time at the time uh into oblivion was practicing in the shed in brandon's backyard and so I just kind of showed up with Baron one day to work on some riffs without telling Brandon and he walked in on us. <laughs> so basically he, uh, he, uh, yeah, he heard some of the stuff we were doing and, you know, just kind of naturally seemed we tried, we tried out this uh, other drummer that uh, the Baron knew uh, he didn't end up working out and it just naturally kind of formed into, uh, well, we used the same three core members, I suppose you could say from into oblivion and Cromwell. So, you know, me, Brandon and Jake, since the gear was there anyways. And so, yeah, basically, Baron was always very much, uh, he started off, you know, thinking this whole idea of, you know, he wanted to do an epic doom metal band, basically. And I was cool with that. What I was a little bit more interested in at the time was, I, I guess, you know, I, I was a very staunch black death metal elitist throughout mm -hmm. high school. And I was kind of getting more into uh, traditional heavy metal and things like that. And I really had the, I really had the itch to do a project like that uh, i wouldn't have done it on my own because i don't really like doing side projects i feel that if you do a, another musical project it should be with another person who has a different view on songwriting than you do otherwise you should just do it in your own band um and so you know naturally that kind of tends to reflect the changes that have happened in both uh, into oblivion and cromlock over time you know just basically they reflect where i am musically at that particular time plus you know whoever else I'm writing with. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's basically a little bit about the band at the start there. You know, we had, uh, we started off with uh, the four of us. And initially uh, we, uh, 
we're trying out people for vocals. There is somewhere out there, there is a demo of Baron singing. Uh, I have it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Baron singing <laughs> early Cromwell songs. It's, uh, <laughs> I have those. <laughs> I, I'm sure, he, I'm sure he wouldn't want those. publicized. Uh, there is also. <laughs> There's also an early demo around the same time period that has a uh, early version of Lair of Doom uh, where he recorded a solo blackout drunk. I think he literally fell outside the shed right after we did that. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but anyways, yeah. So uh, what ended up happening was that, uh, you know, I, I wanted to do vocals in Cromwell, but really what it came down to is that uh, it's difficult to play the kind of material we do and sing at the same time. Like some of these riffs are kind of hard. <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know practicing singing properly particularly if you're singing complex vocal melodies it's just it's it's better to have a dedicated front man so uh a little bit later on that's where uh that's where kevin joined us because we already knew him you know we uh you know knew each other from discussions on uh you know metal philosophy and the like and you know he'd been around into oblivion shows and such and you know he was he was just interested his uh initial commentary which we uh <laughs> Made many jokes about later on and uh, mocked him for a little bit, called him a bit of a boomer for this. But uh, his initial uh, reactions to the Cromwell material that I sent him was he's like, oh, you guys sound like Metallica. <laughs> and, uh, oh, yes. And, and so we, we, we rode that joke into the ground. Uh, but uh, yeah, I guess, you know, that's a bit of a summary of how we started up there. No. Awesome. Um, so would you say sort of, Cromwell or Into Oblivion is more the, the primary project. Is, is are they both kind of equal, or is one oh, take man. priority? I, Be I, careful, I very, Roman. It's a very loaded question right here. I think uh, <laughs> answer uh, carefully. It's careful. They're they're both they're they're both different. Uh, again, you know, in Cromwell we have me and Baron writing, uh, and then uh, and obviously you know like Kevin Kevin doing lyrics. I mean, I I barely do any of the lyrical writing at this point, it's mostly Kevin. So that's a huge contribution right there. I, I certainly couldn't equal with the, a lot of the ways he writes. Uh, but meanwhile, in Into Oblivion, you know, into, I, I really only say that the big difference is that in Into Oblivion, I basically do all the writing and, you know, they, you know, and in Cromlack, it's more of a, it's more of a joint effort between me and Baron. Uh, aside from that, no, they're both, both equally important to me. I couldn't imagine not doing either one. That's awesome. I love that. Because they're so different. Um, it's different sides of your creativity coming out, I guess. But, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to say I absolutely loved the uh, the last EP you guys did, the Winds of Serpentine Ascension. That was killer. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's uh I'm glad you like it. I think that's uh that's some of our best work so far. I think um, so too. Damn, thank you. Thank you. Uh last uh last into oblivion practice, we just finished roughly uh the, the second new song that we've been working on. So, oh, really? uh, you know, yeah, yeah. So we got the, and, and, you know, obviously, you know, with our song lengths, I mean, you know, two songs mm -hmm. right there, that's all, that's almost half the album. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, we're, we're, we're plugging along there. Uh, we're still doing into oblivion, obviously, you know, it's very important. And actually even now with Cromlech, we're, uh, we're working on some new material already. So. Wow. Awesome. Can't wait to hear it. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but your song was actually the first track that we uploaded on our YouTube channel. Like you were the first music we hosted when we were starting oh. out. Yeah. <laughs> yes, actually, I did go back and notice that. That's that that is that is really that is awesome. That is really yeah, cool. It is cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely appreciate uh, the you know 
you guys repping us and everything, it, you know, means a lot. It's cool. Uh, of course. That's yeah, quite oh, yeah. something. And that's the first video there. <laughs> it's like a, it's a double whammy because like your music rocks, but then like Nick's also a good friend of ours from Haitian. So it will always support anything he's doing. But like, uh, even if I hadn't been from him, I could, would have been happy to host your stuff. Oh, of course. How did you guys come into contact with him, by the way? Like, how did you end up hooking up with Haitian Fam? Oh, that's oh wait wait Brandon don't 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 yeah. you have the answer to this? Okay, yeah, you got yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, no, uh, it was literally just one one night, um, like because um, like all of us have access to the uh, the uh, Into Oblivion uh, Facebook page, and you know one night we get this message, and it's like, and it says uh, from Hessian Firm, and I message you guys like, guys, there's some label some label. I've never heard of in my life. I have no, there's no mutual connection here at all. Like basically offering us a deal. I'm like, guys, I, I don't know if this is legit or, or it's just some, like some, somebody messing with us, somebody trolling us that we know. But yeah. And then we kind of went from, went from there. It ended up being, ended up being uh, legit and everything. But yeah, it was just out of the blue contacted us. And as far as I know, it was like pretty much immediately wanted to sign us or, or, you know, release our stuff or something like that. But yeah, it was, Really, really out of the blue and completely out of nowhere. He 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 was ninety percent convinced it was a joke or a troll at first. Yeah, like there was I I I just did not. It was just so out of the blue, and it's like guys, there's something called Hessian firm trying to trying to sign us. Like this this is definitely someone messing with us. <laughs> it's uh his Nick's like he runs that label in a really like unusual way. It's it's kind of just like anything that he finds that he loves. He's like I'm just gonna put that out. He's like. I don't really care like how it does. I just I want people to have access to this album. That I love that. I think it's awesome. Yeah, I think that's the best way to do things. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you know, music art is, uh, you know, we're not really. Heck, definitely, if you're in metal, you're not doing this because you're making any money. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's definitely a love of the craft, you know, and so it's, it's great that there's a, a label out there that appreciates that. Yeah, I mean, if you're playing like butt rock type stuff, like uh, like Five Figure Death Punch or Avenged Sevenfold, then maybe you can make some money. But if you're making like this type of stuff, no. Yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. But uh, so, what's kind of the inspiration for the music? I mean, obviously, uh, we'll talk about Promic first, I guess. Um, I mean, I, I, obviously, you've seen what I think it, it came down to. I, I kind of picked up on like Blind Guardian, Manila Road, um, Solstice, and. Uh, Arab Altor, that type of stuff. Is that kind of mm. accurate-ish or is it am I well, way off? Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll try to speak for Baron here because I remember very much, you know, from many sessions when we first started hanging out, you know, the kind of stuff he was listening to. And, and you have to remember the time period that this was coming out. And it's, uh, it's funny, the guys on the Terminus podcast definitely picked up on a lot of this stuff because they were able to remember the time period in which the band was founded. And, the kind of metal that was in vogue and popular at the time, mm -hmm. you know, there was like a big, there was a big, uh, there was a big thing coming out of, you know, the late two thousands to early 2010s where, you know, traditional heavy metal was becoming a big thing again, you know? Yeah. And I remember in particular, I remember, you know, again, me being a high school death black metal elitist, uh, mm -hmm. I was going on, uh, I, I was on, either the Graveland MySpace or just Rob Darkin's MySpace. I don't remember whatever it was, but anyways, point being he, uh, he had there as a song, he had uh, Manila Rhodes riddle of steel. And that's the first time I ever listened to it. I'm like, Oh, it's kind of cool sounding. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you'd always, uh, you'd always hear these names come up and you start listening to them. And like, you know, so Manila road was definitely one. They're, um, 
there was at the time and, and still is currently a uh, a band in Toronto called you know Possessed Steel that uh, does like the trad heavy metal thing. I think they're one of the guy first guys in Toronto to really start doing that. Uh, I can't imagine that them doing it didn't rub off on us in some way. Uh, so that that was probably part of it. Now, as far as direct influence, I, I don't know if I'd be able to say, but Manila Road for sure. Uh, when I met Baron, that was the first time I really started getting into Solstice. So New Dark Age, I'd never heard it before I met Baron, and I was I was incredibly impressed by it. You know, I was uh, mm-hmm. that that was a huge thing. Uh, yeah, Baron used to literally uh, spam us with Solstice links and say, or for me at least, he'd say, "Play drums like this." <laughs> that's yeah, that's yeah. Baron, uh, he, he has his way about things. Uh, we've we've all become more like each other over time so that's something any of us could do at this point but back then it was definitely a barren thing uh the let's see yeah so solstice uh, blind, i always loved blind guardian uh, nightfall in middle earth was a uh, was such an important album for me growing up yeah. you know, the subject matter the, the cimmerillion just the extreme power metal everything else like that uh obviously i really like uh follow the blind italians of fear was probably the first one by them i bought so yeah, that's that stuff is definitely there, though. I'm, I'm surprised how much people pick up on it personally, because I, I don't think that it was one of the most conscious influences. I would say like Solstice, Manila Road, Eisentor, those were definitely up there. Bathory, for sure. Um, I, just, I think it came through more on the song that you chose to use as a single. And I think a lot of people heard that single the most. And that's kind of where that the whole thing came from, because it was um, Born with Sword in Hand, right? That was the first song that you put off the yes. album. Yeah, that one has, I think out of all of them, that one has the most um, Blind Guardian sound to it. Oh, definitely, definitely. It's very power metal. I can definitely yeah. get that for sure. Uh, but yeah, when I'm going back into the, you know, the genesis of the band and where everything came from, uh, uh, actually a really big thing that that was that I kind of wanted to work in because I, I guess uh, I, I didn't just want to do like a straight, epic doom band or i never had plans of writing just a straight epic doom band or a straight like trad heavy metal album or whatever as the uh as i was getting back to earlier as the terminus guys pointed out you know prog heavy metal being uh one of the one of the biggest root influences of everything is kind of true but like you know particularly like prog heavy metal in the context of the uh in the context of stuff in the 80s that has its roots in the 70s and one of the things they really pointed out was Syrathungal, and i really liked Syrathungal. Mm-hmm. thing king of the dead i think that that was definitely a huge one right there uh another one you know it's like you're not going to pick up on it uh very obviously because the aesthetic uh, uh superficial elements aren't necessarily there but you know i definitely when i when i think of writing any kind of traditional heavy metal i think well to me the the greatest traditional heavy metal album of all time was merciful fates don't break the oath right. which is like which which is like you know which is actually again much more much more proggy than people will give it credit for you know the songwriting right. is really good on there it's, it's catchy obviously uh so that was that was an influence for sure uh bathory Thungle, like i said yeah eyes and taurus solstice manila road uh man celtic frost was, man yeah man of war yes but you know man of war most in spirit more than anything, yeah man i, I, I think of that much it's like in spirit and theme and like concept that sort of thing yeah definitely um no 100 100 um celtic frost was a big one too angel awesome. Witch. um yeah obviously oh, sabbath definitely sabbath uh you know we we did uh 
we did a Sabbath cover that uh, did a bit of a number on Kevin's vocals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it certainly did. <laughs> but it took yeah, off for like was, six weeks, didn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was uh, that's when we we did Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, right? It was a national acrobat. I yeah. can't remember now. Yeah, and I, I blew my vocals out in one of the in one of our practice sessions, and I think I was out for a good six weeks. Oh wow! Yeah, we t- we attempted <laughs> Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, but and we did it though. Kevin's voice. We we uh, did play <laughs> National Acrobat live though. That was the one cover we perfected. Oh nice. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was that was a big thing there too. Plan B. Yeah, exactly. There was the plan B. You know. Um, yeah, I think uh, actually another big thing too is uh, to kind of like wrap my point up here. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of Greek black metal kind of snuck in occasionally. Like I really nice. like. Uh, yeah, for, well, in particular, like uh, uh, Verathron's uh, that the one song at the end of His Majesty at the Swamp, uh, Tress Rising of Neurolatap. For me, that's like this like epic kind of like 70s heavy metal prog masterpiece right there so like I, that that was always a very big influence for me uh and when i go back i i, won't, I was like yeah you know i want to do you know i want to do heavy metal but i wanted to do it with like yeah i wanted to do it with the with a bit of the prog in there and also in the places where it could have crossover with more extreme stuff i wanted to emphasize those elements right uh, so yeah so i guess that would be the that, that would really be the most uh succinct way i could summarize uh, the influences for the band you know there, there's all kinds of other stuff that comes up if i think about it you know i you get to a certain point and you've listened to so much metal for so long that like the riffs become a part of like your internal genetic makeup and you can't remember what you got influenced by because it's just like i just write riffs like this because this is who i am yeah it just <laughs> leads together yeah yeah um uh- just to your point on the Greek black metal scene, I always did appreciate that there was so much more influenced by the sort of traditional heavy metal stuff. Like they put such an emphasis on the melody, the harmonies, and like the uh, the riffs. And uh, I always thought that that it really stands out in a different sort of light than all the Northern European stuff in that way. Yeah, one hundred percent. Because uh, they like uh, like other bands like Masters Hammer, Roots were. Uh, I mean, in those cases, like, I think they maybe had a little bit more going from the thrash stuff, but a lot of right. it is that these bands were influenced by, you know, they were influenced by Merciful Fate a lot, going back yeah. to that, or, or the, the, you know, the funniest thing to always look at is the, you know, obvious resemblance between uh, the guitar tone on Thy Mighty Contract by, yes. uh, by Rod Christ, and then you go back to Sabotages in the Hall of the Mountain King. You know, it's like it's like you you compare uh, what's the song Price You Pay. If you listen to the beginning of Price You Pay by Sabotage and in the Hall of the Mountain King, it's basically a Greek black metal riff. It almost has the exact same guitar tone as Thy Mighty Contract. It's right. uh, they, they definitely love their heavy metal, and you can see that come out uh, more explicitly in uh, later projects like uh, Zemiel and Agatus and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's funny that you said the original, the early Rod and Christ stuff, because that's literally the example I was going to use. It's like, uh, <laughs> there's so many melodic, like stunning, catchy riffs in those first few albums. Mm. Oh yeah, 100%. And that, that definitely uh, rubbed off on me. You know, the, uh, the, the, some of the very Sabbath sounding riffs, some of the more like, you know, Judas Priest Maiden sounding riffs, the Merciful Fate riffs. I mean, you know, yep. getting introduced to that through the black metal lens definitely was a very big influence on my writing in Cromwell. What are your thoughts on the latest stuff that they've done, like the new direction they've gone in with the folk influences? Like, are you a fan or, or not? Uh, so uh, so, so we, let's clarify here. We're talking about Rod and Christ right now? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, honestly, I, yeah, it's, it's not really... I'm very, I'm very uh, conservative in my metal taste in the sense of, uh, 
it takes me a long time to acclimatize myself to, to newer music. I have to really, you, you find, uh, you know, you, your filter becomes uh, pretty refined and the, and the things that you're into are not necessarily like, you know, the, the early nineties stuff was amazing. The, the yeah. uh, you know, black, black metal, death metal, a lot of the stuff in the early to mid nineties was great. And then it's, I, you know, it kind of over time, you know, some stuff happened in the early 2000s where we were kind of at a, a, a nadir musically. I really think for me, the best uh, the best material by by them would have been the last album I would have been really enjoyed by them personally was Non-Servium. Uh, okay. And uh, yeah, and like as far as Greek black metal goes, yeah, that and uh, uh, Verithron's, uh, yeah, uh, Verithron's uh, Lament of the Gods EP from, uh, from, I think that was from 98. That, that one's still pretty good too. Uh, I, that... Unfortunately, that that scene, in my view, isn't quite what it used to be. Uh, I think that they, well, it happens with bands. You know, we can all point to a bunch of bands that have spectacular first, second, third albums. Uh, but Rare is the band that can maintain their uh, quality throughout their entire career. Right. Yeah. And those bands really stand out as like uh, special. Like, I mean, this is a personal opinion, obviously, but I personally think that. Immolation and Autopsy, as far as death metal go, are two of those bands that have been consistent from the start of their career till now. Like I, I can't put my finger on like a bad album from either of them. Yeah, you know what? I mean, I will say this. I think uh, I think Immolation certainly may have uh, fluctuated fluctuated in quality. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they you know they kept still pointing. They kept still putting out some good stuff. I mean, even even albums that uh, people don't necessarily hold high as being traditionally great like harnessing ruins still have yeah you know, they still have their moments yeah exactly it's not bad it's just like not as good as as their better stuff uh, but right. you look at like so many other bands you're like ah oh, man these albums suck like i've never said that about either of those bands about anything they've done yes exactly i have the same feeling about uh in black metal uh graveland and summoning are pretty much exactly the same in that way because like again they'll fluctuate in quality they might release some like stuff that's like all right but like it never gets bad bad and that's i have to say that's actually an achievement you yep. know because some bands just get really bad after a while yeah it's like especially in the 90s like the the late 90s period there's so many bands that try to do that like i don't know play with their sound and try other things especially in thrash like all the big thrash bands in the 90s got super weird um yeah you know you know the period i'm talking about when it was like megadeth did like a country album and then like slayer did new metal and then metallica went hard rock i think <laughs> that was like a really bad period <laughs> well, oh yeah listen, don't everybody start... was confused <laughs> <laughs> don't don't start talking about load and reload around kevin <laughs> <laughs> those were the golden years <laughs> Kevin has a special relationship with Metallica. I, Kevin, I mean, I would say that, like, from my, this is just my opinion, that Load and Reload, if they had been done by a different band, I think would have been really solid rock and hard rock albums. I, I just think, like, coming from Metallica, it was just like people, like, what is this type of thing? Yeah, I think that, that that's fair. Um, I don't know. It's it's weird. Like, Load and Reload were some of the earliest Metallica that I heard. So, okay. Like, I do have a re- strange relationship to it like i can look back at it now and be like this is objectively not very good for metallica to be putting out yeah um but uh yeah i mean you're probably right if it was under a different moniker probably would have uh got a different reception from people although it's really popular it seems like in terms of sales people buy it yeah for sure it's very accessible yeah 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 that's true yeah, they nailed it's... the radio single sound for that 
Definitely. Yeah. It's accessible, but not terrible, like uh, St. Anger. Um, so, Brendan, uh, did you have any questions you want to ask? I know you had a bunch of stuff that you had lined up. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I was going through all the, the albums and stuff. And um, how, who um, came up with your artwork? Who Do you guys like come up with that as like a collaboration or um, buying somebody's artwork and using it? Or how, how, that, oh, okay. how did you get all that? So, so are we are we speaking generally or, or about the last album in particular? Um, well, generally too uh, for cool. Chromebook, yeah, 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 sure. So uh, basically, yeah, in the case of uh, in the case of the two releases in between the albums, uh, uh, though Iron Garden, Myth and Stigma, those were just you know picking cool artwork, uh, cool historical artwork. That's never a bad thing to do. Uh, actually, goes back to an influence of ours, which is probably fairly obvious but they were really good at choosing good artwork for album covers uh atlantean codex you know they, they would always pick like really good romantic era or like symbolist artwork and you know yeah you use that as an album cover uh i mean that goes back to you know other bands did that too bathory and you know especially during the viking stuff uh but uh regardless yes we did that for those two uh both the first album and the album that we just released uh Scent of kings so both ave mortis and Ascent of kings uh, both of those were done by Chris Verwimp and Chris Verwimp. Uh, I mean, he's done tons of stuff, but for, for me in particular, the, the thing that I associate with him the most are uh, the Absu album covers. Uh, and he was uh, just fantastic works on uh, Son of Tifereth uh, and then, and then Terra, of course. Uh, so yeah. in the case of, uh, in the case of the first album, yeah, yeah, that's right. Baron came up with the concept for it. There's even a stick figure uh, mock-up drawing that we have on the band page somewhere of how the original design was supposed to look, and uh, and then we just had Chris uh, Chris go with it. The um, the idea was kind of a joint idea in that case because we were going for a very Conan the Barbarian theme. I mean, you know, that's like the Atlantean king that uh, yeah uh, that Conan finds there with the sword and all that. You know, uh, so that that one's that's a pretty obvious one right there um so with this with this new one uh on ascent of kings it's it's an idea i had for a very long time where i was kind of looking at different things in uh in mythology like you know odin hanging himself on the world tree with the spear piercing himself like that uh the most obvious thing you can look at it is if you know anything about uh celtic mythology or irish mythology uh that basically is the, is a depiction of the story of, uh, of the death of Ku Cullen uh, from, from the Ulster cycle. And, uh, the, and so I kind of like, there, there are these, there are these interesting myths of, you know, warrior Kings and priest Kings and, you know, sac uh, you know, basically self-sacrifice and all of this, uh, you know, the, particularly the entire idea of the sacred King who needs to be sacrificed that really went into the idea uh, we had uh, behind the album artwork. I had that concept for a very long time. It was again based off, you know, based off my readings of mythology. But then again, some other stuff that I wouldn't have picked up otherwise. Like for example, Lantian Codex did that album, The Golden Bow, which is infl which is based off the book, The Golden Bow, which is a compar comparative mythology book. And so it's in there that I kind of read a lot of this stuff about you know these uh, entire idea of like you know these ceremonial sacred kings that usually have to die in certain circumstances for the entire cycle of life to continue. And, you know, there's all these uh, religious and ritual significances to them. 
and I, I, I thought this, you know, I thought this was a really cool idea. You know, um, Kevin's Irish. I've always found Celtic things fascinating. So uh, it just kind of uh, naturally, it, it kind of all naturally melded together that way. So, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, so, so because we used Chris Berwin for the first album cover, uh, it just seemed natural to ask him again. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. It's a really cool concept. Definitely get some um, like dystopian Conan things going on too. You know, it's, it's cool. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Some people uh, definitely make a connection with Conan being on the tree of woe and everything. So I get right. that. Yeah, it's cool. We, um, you guys like watching those movies back in the day? Uh, yeah. That's probably one of my favorite movies. Uh, Conan nice. Barbarian. Uh, I think that's definitely up there just due to the more than anything you know like obviously the the subject matter is great the topics are great the uh but you know unlike unlike a lot of modern movies you know back then they had an, they had a better sense of you know it, the thing has like slow it had these slow meditative shots of large landscapes and like the the, the pace of the movie was good and it was just it, it was it was very different from uh from the remake that they made later on. I forget what year that came out in, but we all went to go see it. And I wasn't quite as happy with that one. So uh, 2011. Yeah. 20. Oh yeah. Wow. Okay. Crazy. I when we that. formed the band. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That, I, I, that, that's insane to think that that literally happened the same year. Yeah. Spite of that movie. <laughs> I'm the outlier with Conan stuff. Like I, I did not watch that movie until I was probably 30 and I never read any Conan stuff. So these guys reference Conan and everything. And um, sometimes the references, I have no clue what they're talking about. So I'm definitely the outlier when it comes to the Conan. Uh, I like the movie a lot. uh, The original one, I like the second one too, um, but not the one that came out later, but uh, yeah, these guys are definitely more into the Conan stuff than I am. Yeah. The score in the original movie was phenomenal too. Like I can just listen to that, um, the album of that score, like while I'm at work or driving. It's just it's soothing. It's even this music on its own speaks for itself from that movie. Yeah, 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 yeah abs- absolutely, absolutely. And actually, uh, well, I mean, I don't know if anybody's ever picked up on it, but uh, if if you listen to on the first Cromwell uh, album, Ave Mortis, and you go and listen to to see them driven before you, the first theme. Uh, of the song is all based off of uh, the the whole Conan, you know, uh, Riddle of Steel, Riders of uh, Riders of Doom theme, and there's a uh, there is uh, there there are a couple more Easter eggs like that on this album if people care to look for them. You know, there there are riffs that are references to that kind of stuff. Nice. Do you um, kind of add those kind of Easter eggs in, in on purpose, or does it uh, just happen naturally? Oh, in that case, it definitely happens on purpose because, like, I'll I'll listen to a motif from, uh, from you know, a soundtrack or a piece of classical music or something like that, and I I think to myself that that's definitely a genre of riffs that we write. We're just like, like that is a really cool melody. I want to turn that into a heavy metal riff. I've definitely yeah, done that many times uh, in Into Oblivion and also in Cromwell. Oh yeah, that's true for the lyrics too. There's lots of Easter eggs in the lyrics if uh, if you can f- figure. Uh find them um and that's conscious too like i'll find a line written by someone and think wow that sounds awesome and i'll plug it plug it in there um and it usually turns out really well i might tweak it so it's something more you know original but um there's definitely a lot of lyrical eggs as well that's cool 
definitely cool. Um, we won't tell you where they are because we don't want to get sued. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's interview over. That that's that's a whole joke that uh, me and the guys have that I've invented a whole genre called lawsuit metal. <laughs> <laughs> we can only play twenty nine seconds of this. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it is that actually what the limit is? You're allowed to take 29 seconds of something? Mm-hmm. Like, what is the limit? Mm-hmm. Kevin, don't, don't, encourage, don't encourage me here, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> well, if anyone figures it out, you can let us know. You know how the, the limit of copyright is seven years after the author's lifespan? And, and like, probably like 50 years time, 40 years time, people are going to literally be able to use like all 70s and 80s metal is just common, like non-copyrighted music. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. It becomes public domain or whatever. It does. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think it's like the author's lifespan plus seven years, and then after that, it's public domain. Seven years or 70? Uh, 70. Oh, 70. Okay, I thought seven years. I thought, wow, okay, that's not, that's not a long time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's it's 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 not our last time, but our, our great great grandkids are going to be able to like public domain use like Iron Maiden songs and stuff. <laughs> Pretty sweet. But it's like how like uh, video games, you know, um, I can't remember the name of it right now, but they use a lot of old songs um, uh, from back in the you know the day, you know, like um, all apocalyptic themed stuff. Um, uh, Beth said I made it. I can't remember the name of it though. Uh, but yeah, there's they use all kinds of old songs, and it's just like, oh wait, why does it sound so familiar? And it's like, oh yeah, these are really like actually legit old songs. Like I thought they were just made for the video game at first, but then that's it. It's mm. cool. I know you had some uh, Toronto questions you had lined up as well. Yeah. Um, oh, I was gonna ask about is sushi pizza really good no <laughs> i you know to be honest maybe maybe i have my head in the sand or maybe i've completely forgotten about it but i swear that's the first time i've ever heard that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, was, but then again I, i'm a i'm a caveman that you know lives you've never heard rock, of sushi so. pizza maybe i don't know this sounds very novel to me right now maybe i'm just forgetting things i've definitely had it and it's not that good yeah not a fan like, either and i like sushi I have no clue what that is. I mean, it's it's more of an inner city Toronto thing, like in the core of the downtown. We all, well, Kevin, uh, I don't think grew up in Toronto, right? But the greater Toronto area. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we're all from the suburbs of Toronto. So a lot of <laughs> cultures downtown are still um, foreign to us. <laughs> nice. Well, then, have you had a premium bacon sandwich? Premium, yeah. I have had that. Those are oh, yeah, delicious. People. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. It's yeah, a good sandwich. I actually prefer like just regular bacon to pea meal bacon, though. Yeah. Yeah, I always find there's like, I don't know, cartilage and stuff in the pea meal. Maybe it's the quality of the pea meal bacon I've had, but I don't know. I mean, it's good, but not as good as just kind of regular bacon. In my yeah. opinion. Gotcha. So is this kind of what, like, is this what Toronto's known for? Pea meal bacon and sushi? Possibly. <laughs> 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 All right. I don't, and then, I don't, and then the, the ever question. famous, you know, poutine. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's a classic. Yeah, there's so many variations of it. I've seen 
we used to do one. I worked in a restaurant. We did one with uh, it was like tater tots. Um, uh, oh, you're getting Kevin excited. Like sausage gravy, and then um, <laughs> the curds, and like yeah, it was, it was good, but. Yeah, you got to add like pulled pork and stuff to the to the poutine. Yeah, or oh, we do that bacon lardens. Nice. Well, I had that one once where cool. it was basically a braised beef stew on top of French fries. That was a nice variation of it. Ooh, that yeah, sounds pretty good. Little now, mini do onions. You use ketchup? Do you dip in ketchup? Ooh, no, no, or mayonnaise. Mayonnaise. I've had it with mayonnaise. Yeah, I've I've, yeah. I've I haven't um, dipped much in mayonnaise. I I've used mayonnaise to like make sauces with and stuff like that but i haven't um i haven't used it as a dip right yeah some people like it i like my fries on my poutine with mayonnaise that's yeah. not as big in the u.s as it is in like the uk canada and australia i'll say that with the mayonnaise, the mayonnaise thing with fries oh. yeah no we fry our mayonnaise around here <laughs> <laughs> uh that's funny um and then you know, beers like you guys, there's uh, got a ton of breweries around you. Um, is there anything uh, worth trying to find out this oh, way? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah, Canadian, you know, there's a lot of craft breweries around, you know, but uh, I don't know when I uh, when I'm drinking, it's usually Belgian ales I'm usually getting from you know that are imported. Uh, okay. a lot of our, yeah, a lot of our a lot of our local breweries. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, like you know, it's uh, it's like Wellington. Well, yeah, Wellington's good. Uh, Amsterdam's good. You know, Amsterdam yeah. has has a good nut brown ale. I always like drinking that. Um, yeah, Wellington's got the SPA. That's a staple at uh, yeah, at Cromwell. Uh, oh, and actually, one of the old staples of Cromwell was uh, was Upper Canada Dark Ale. Up uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Upper Canada Dark Ale. We we used to get that all the time because you get a twelve pack of it, and it was. Uh, you know, it was pretty good for what you were paying for it. If I recall, it was like, uh, you know, and I, I don't know how the prices are relative to the United States or Australia or whatever, but, you know, over here at the time, I seem to recall 12 bottles for about 17, 18 bucks. It was like, it was good. It was good enough. You know, it was, it was good enough and it tasted good. We would right. drink it all the time. We would, uh, <laughs> you know. It's I, good I, enough. Yeah. Oh no, no, it was more than <laughs> like, I, I it was good enough, enough beer. <laughs> it was it was definitely it was definitely more than good enough. It was just also I think uh, the price factor and uh that was uh yeah, we used to drink that all the time. I, I had haven't had that in a while. I remember that uh we would make a joke about it. I don't know if you guys grew up with uh, the commercials of Sunny D, you know, whatever that orange drink was that uh had oh, the yeah, yeah, the fake yeah. yeah. Orange, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, kid, kids love the taste of Sunny D. So we started calling it Uppy D. You know, up a cup of Canada Dark. We started calling it Uppy D. We started joking about, you know, oh, Uppy D. It's got the taste that metalheads love, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, yeah, there, there are, honestly, there are probably good breweries I'm forgetting about over here. But uh, to be honest, some of the best stuff. Oh, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of smaller ones, like one near, uh, you know, one near near where Kevin lives, Royal City is not that bad. Um, oh. <laughs> no, but uh, but uh, you know, that, but anyways, there's uh, there's other ones I can think of. Jake actually, uh, Jake actually makes very good beer. Nice, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'm flattered. <laughs> oh, nice. I literally, literally award winning. But uh, you know, that's uh, 
we'll let him get into that if he wants to. We we also he also is uh, very good at making mead. Oh, yeah. cool! Yeah, yeah. I uh, I homebrew and do some of that fun stuff. Oh, nice! We can take yeah. the interview over into this topic now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I work at a brewery as well, and uh, the brewer actually we made a um, cherry and currant uh, mead that's still kind of ticking away. Is that kind of like the uh, <laughs> beer style mead where it's lower alcohol content, or more like the wine and the dry oh. style? No, nah, it was like a million pounds of honey and a lot of, <laughs> uh, I, I can't remember what kind of yeast they we used, but um, the next day it was like the airlock inside of it. Like we had it in like a big barrel, like, oh geez, like a 50 gallon barrel. And oh, excuse me, it was like shooting out of the airlock, you know, it was like biological warfare in there. <laughs> I, it's, it was cool. It was it was it was violent inside of that that uh, that barrel. But um, yeah, we have um, we had it in an oak barrel for a little while, and now it's just kind of hanging out. So oh, nice. Yeah, explosive fermentation is the sign of success. Oh yeah, great thing, great thing to wake cool. up to in the morning. Yeah, I like got to work the next day, and I was like gonna go check on it, and I'm just like, oh my god, like this, this, wow, <laughs> this is aggressive. It was just like, just like shooting out, you know, like it was cool. <laughs> it's cool as hell. What's your uh, favorite beer to make at home? I love making the Belgian style ales. Um, yeah, like like Roman said, I made an award winning beer because I tried my luck at a local home brewing competition. Toronto's has a pretty big homebrew community. I'm not really that tight knit with it, but I kind of just lurk in the discussions and anonymously I've sent this beer out. Uh, it was a Belgian dark strong ale. Mm-hmm. I, I got to about 8%. I got nice and dark. I had some molasses in for some flavor and full bodiedness. I uh, used a nice Trappist style Belgian yeast to get that nice um, flavor that's characteristic of them with that like bubblegum aroma and um like the dried plum and raisin aromas and flavor yeah um so that that recipe i could finally after years of tinkering with it i could cross that off the list as being perfected now um but i love brewing a lot of um traditional various european style ales especially german ales um a lot of breweries around here in ontario don't really do too much of that yeah. Um, most of the breweries here in Ontario uh, just do that kind of West Coast IPA style beer, which yeah. is very common. And after a while, I just I get sick of it. I know it's a way where I mean, you'd probably <coughs> understand this since you work at a brewery. I hear often yeah. in breweries you could make things something into an IPA if you screw up the batch. <laughs> <laughs> um, Add more hops. <laughs> so yeah, ultimately like i got into brewing to just try my hand at brewing these types of ales that don't aren't brewed here um locally and like roman said we like to all the beer drinkers of the band we love to drink those uh imported beers we get from europe yeah yeah there's a nice smoothness to a lot of those i know um i'm actually my next batch i'm, I'm planning on making i want to make a uh a kolsch but i want to um I don't know if I want to add it into the mash or into the boil, but I want to add lemongrass to it. Nice. Oh, oh that would that would yeah. uh, that would go really well with the kudosh, actually. 
Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I th- it because it almost kind of has that kind of similar kind of flavor to it. So I was like, I think that would accent it really well. So I, I want to try it out. Or I was thinking, do I like make a tea out of the lemongrass and then add that into the boil? I, I don't know. Figure it out. I'm going to figure yep. it out. Probably the boil would be better. Um, probably need a ton of it because I know um, when I would try making beers with different uh, spices like coriander, it's present. Oh, yeah, you need more than you think. And it dissipates after you're done the batch and you bottle it. Um, goes away after a while. Or even with the hop flavors I found just in some of my beers, it would taste hoppy at first. And then after a few weeks of aging, you lose the hoppiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it all depends. Are you bottling it or kegging it? I used to keg it um, to because I was lazy and it was path of least resistance. Once I got the equipment for a kegerator, less yeah. work. Uh, but then I got married. I have a daughter now and we need to turn my little office into the nursery. And so I had to get rid of the kegerator and I'm back to bottling beer. And I kind of love bottling beer again. It really, it makes it easier to carry. It tastes fresher. It seals the beer and preserves it better. Yeah. So it's worth the extra work. Yeah. I had uh, just inherited a kegerator. So I was like, hmm, got to start doing that. I, I bottle all the time. So, yeah. And bottling day is fun, you know, like, yeah, I got back into it. And yeah, it's great having a kegerator because it's always awesome serving your beer to guests and have, hosting some parties and uh, oh, of course, people yeah. trying your beer and having your own yeah bar at home. Yeah, nah, it's definitely cool. Yeah, I, I can't wait to bust that thing out this summer, springtime. I've got uh, one more food question for you guys, and then we'll get on to music again. <laughs> well, it's, it's beverage related, actually. Is do Canadians drink Canadian Club, or do you just export it to America? Oh um, yeah, we drink Canadian Club. Is it that good? I mean, like, it's, yeah, it's okay, I guess. But you know, but yeah, we we do drink it over here. So, okay, it's not my, certainly not my preferred whiskey or anything, but people do drink it here. I was wondering because, like, uh, it, it, like Foster's, the Australian beer. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. it's like number one Australian beer in the US it's every single friggin grocery store has it and you can't even buy it in Australia I've never had it in my entire life before I came to the US <laughs> and then it's like it's like some people are Australian like oh do you drink Foster's I'm like dude I never even saw Foster's until I came to the US well, it's so like we, we, it's so, so it's, it's so been, bad it's so bad we just export it we don't want it like <laughs> it's yeah I've got, uh, I've, got, I've, got, I've got a bit of a funny story about Foster's Okay. Uh, so uh, me, Baron, and uh, a few friends of ours, I think it was back in 2014, uh, they had uh, Warriors of Metal in Ohio. It was a, uh, you know, it was a cool festival. Honestly, it was, uh, for me, it was a, it was a really great chance to like see uh, Manila Road, Hellstar. Hellstar was a huge influence for us, by the way. That's a big thing I want to bring up. Hellstar is gigantic. Cool. Uh, Nosferatu, love that album. Uh, but uh, yeah, Manila Road, Hellstar, and then... Uh, Twisted Tower Dyer was playing too. I mean, you know, obviously it's new Twisted Tower Dyer, but, you know, it was a great band. Uh, regardless, so they were playing out on this ranch somewhere. Uh, you know, we, it was cool because we got to camp there overnight and everything. And it was it was just like a nice fest. So anyways, the whole drive down, me and the guys are all convincing ourselves. We're, we're saying like, okay, what we're going to do is that once we get there, we're going to pretend to everybody that we're Australian. 
We're just going to speak it with an Australian accent the whole time. And we're only going to drink Foster's. <laughs> and we started coming up with these like rid ridiculous stories about, you know, how the prime minister of Australia is a crocodile. And like, you know, you had, he had to fight the crocodile to become prime minister. And then like, you know, all, all this, like, uh, like all, all this other stuff. I mean, like, I don't even remember half of it. It was so ridiculous, but like <laughs> we got there and immediately we we're just like, yeah, oh yeah, we're from Canada. <laughs> that was that was, uh, that was that was a pretty fun show actually uh we all got mini kegs in newcastle brown and started just walking around drinking them uh there was as soon as we got there like an hour after we got there there was a tornado and oh, uh well, yeah and all of a sudden the, the winds start whipping up and you know you know sometimes how the wind blows but like eventually it stops blowing well that did not happen it just kept going like faster and faster and faster and uh the uh, bands were all playing in this band shell that had like a tin roof. Uh, and all of a sudden, like a square yard of tin just like rips right off the roof. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm like, these, these are my last thoughts. <laughs> you know, it was, it was a miracle. The show ended up happening actually. And we had a, uh, we had a, we had a great time, just uh, me, Baron, uh, and you know, maybe some of the other guys we were driving driving around on his car on the property after it had rained after the after the tornado drinking nuki brown out of uh out of mini kegs while blasting fires of mars by middle road <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> it was a good time and they ended up playing that night it was good anyways it's it, you you bringing a fosters just you know made me go down a whole trip down memory lane <laughs> <laughs> Awesome story. <laughs> I love that. We, we love those tangents on this podcast. So always feel free. Like something's like, oh, I've got a story about that. Go nuts. Um, just a, a really funny piece of Australian trivia about our prime ministers. Um, I don't know why I find this funny. It's actually sad. The guy died. But uh, one of our prime ministers, while in office, went for a swim. I think it was in like the 70s and uh, disappeared and never came back. And uh, I think it was like, no, 1967. Yeah. So it's like, just imagine that being a US president or something though. Like he just goes yeah, for a swim. Swimming and never. <laughs> and just never came yeah. back. And then the country's like, they waited two days and they basically say, I guess he's gone and then just put someone else in charge. <laughs> okay, that is kind of funny. Actually. <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> I buy it pretty funny. You know, by a whale. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? You know, who knows? Uh, it's funny because that, Obviously, as soon as you bring up Australia, I start thinking about the Simpsons episode about Australia. I love right? that episode. Yeah, of course. Oh, of course. It's good. It's great. That's awesome. Oh, <laughs> uh, right, you know, Andy. Like, you, you saying the prime minister dying swimming just makes me think of like, you know, <laughs> the freaking, you know, when the, when the prime, it's like, uh, when they. Mr. They prime, prime Minister. That, that, that made me think of that all of a sudden like he died like in an accident like that or something like <laughs> Putin gone wrong yep <laughs> yeah that that episode is like I, I lived in like a country town in Australia and I've been like pretty far west and uh it's not far off some of the stuff from that <laughs> it's uh, just to put it in perspective I went to a uh, camel race in a, a small town in the outback in Australia mm -hmm. oh wow yeah yeah, they, wow. they have camel races like a, in in town, which is it's just pretty wild. So, um, uh, so I, I I will ask actually because I want to ask an actual Australian about this. Uh, I I always get stories about the spiders there. Are they all over the place, or what's up? Uh, yeah, no, it depends where you live, type thing. Like if you're in the inner city, you're not going to get too many of them. If you're like kind of near, like a forest area, in a forest area, yeah, there'll be some 
pretty big bad spiders but like a lot of the time the bigger they are the less you have to worry about them so like okay. the uh there's really big ones that are like the size of a dinner plate like but when you count the tips of the legs and stuff um those aren't gonna bother you at all but like oh. the, the little it's the little guys that are really venomous that you gotta worry like watch out for sure yeah and then like the most the most venomous one is it wasn't really where I, so like the most venomous spider is the the funnel web um right, the, right. The, that's that's in sydney and i lived in queensland which is up north so i was in the state where the barrier reef was um mm. so it's like the, the, everyone calls it like the the sunshine state the wild state it's like got this massive rainforest with tons of crazy stuff in them that will kill you but it doesn't have as many spiders so way more snakes less spiders oh okay so, that's so you kind of have to like decide what you, you're more scared of like uh new yeah, south wales yeah, exactly. because sydney is more spider territory and then more snakes up north but there's scarier things than than both of those in my opinion like in in those rainforest areas up north like uh there's this plant that has these like tiny microscopic glass needles that if it oh, gets wow. under your it gets under your skin it doesn't come out naturally um it, or, or it takes like months and it's like it feels like apparently it's the same like uh feeling as fiberglass um oh. so like they kind of have to remove the top layer of your skin to get it out Oof. so well, i find i find that way scarier than a spider or a snake personally yeah, some, yeah sometimes man you hear the stories about australia and you wonder how anybody survived down there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not so much it's, there are parts of it that are like like don't get me wrong like there are places where you can easily die in nature if you're not like basically relatively like worth it but the majority of the country where people live is mostly cities so you don't really get as much of that as people think you do um, right and the main people that die are british tourists or chinese tourists like just because oh. they like there's nothing in uk that can really hurt you um so right. they come to like a place like australia and they're like this is like watch out for the wildlife and they're like yeah right and they, they just die um oh. it's mostly crocodiles like the main deaths that you hear about is crocodiles up north like British tourists that it's like signs saying don't go by the water they'll go down to the water and take a picture and get grabbed Oof. so it's like stuff like that like the, there's a story that we were told when we were up there it's like um lady was told not to go near the to the beach because like if you go really far north in Australia you can't swim at some beaches because there's crocodiles on the beaches um because they come out of the waterways and um they're like don't go to the beach at night like don't go near the water and her and her friend literally went like down into the water and swam at the beach at night and both didn't come back it's like you're kind of asking for it like you know what i mean like not like it's not asking for it but like if they tell you that that's going to happen and then you like do it anyway it's like right yeah it's natural uh, i went to the bit. beach and they disappeared and it's like well we said not to do that well, then people people blame the crocodile, and they're like, "Well, they're like killing machines." I'm like, "No, you just kind of went into their territory at night. Like, it's gonna happen." Yeah. Yeah, it's, like go, it's like going out into like the forest in Canada or the U.S. and like approaching a bear, and right. then like, oh, "Oh, the bear mauled me." I'm like, "Yeah, no shit. Like, it's it's gonna happen." <laughs> Who would win in a fight, Australian animals or all of the Florida men? Ooh, oh man, okay, tough question. Oh, what is, what is the like the Canadian equivalent of Florida? Like, do you have like a, a territory that's like considered like wild and redneck, like all the crazy shit happens? Because Australia is northern territory. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, I felt like when I went to British Columbia, there's one part in British Columbia, um, closer to the Rocky Mountains, so it's not on the coast. Um, 
It's called Kelowna. And I just found it funny when I was visiting there because this, in the summer, it's really hot and really dry. I guess Florida gets very humid, but I found the parallel to Florida because in Kelowna, it was just full of old people and boomers. Um, <laughs> similar to how like in Florida, it's just where all the boomers go to retire. Like that parallel yep. was there. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, I guess the only, you know, when we think of the national character of the uh, areas of Canada, you know, I guess uh, I guess Alberta's got a uh, got a bit of a reputation for being a little bit wild west, uh, but like again, not probably nothing as crazy as anything in the states or anywhere else. And right. then you know, I, I think uh, yeah, that's that's probably about it. You know, it's like uh, yeah, there's really no like Canada's a pretty. Uh, I always feel like respect. it's a really boring Canada, place. <laughs> Canada has like a, a real friendly reputation. I feel like yes, polite, polite and friendly. Yeah. Yeah, I had a, a buddy that he grew up in um, Montreal and he was always talking about like when um, he's like talking about like being in the army and stuff like that. And he was just like, yeah, man, you know, Canada, they'd go help out wherever, but they'd be really far back with the binoculars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stuff. I find um, like in the major cities like everyone's an asshole everyone's cold no one wants to acknowledge your existence but if you go out in the country i mean you can where we are in ontario you can drive an hour in any direction and be in rural territory and it's night and day everyone there's much more friendly outside of the cities and Mm -hmm. i guess you have to be because um you're further away from infrastructure it's the same in the u.s like even even in california like if you get away from like i live in san diego if you get away from like San Diego and uh, LA, like as soon as you get like maybe an hour or two inland, everyone's super nice and friendly and like welcoming. But like, in LA, no one gives a fuck. Like it, it, you could be like dying on the street, people don't give a shit. But like you like walk into a store and they're like, where are you from? Like, hey, what are you doing here? Are you, are you having a good time on your trip type thing? Or do you get like even like two hours inland? Oh, yeah, I believe it. Like I've throughout my childhood, uh, we would drive down to Florida to go on vacation. And so I think I've spent more time outside of the major cities in the u.s and more time through drive-through states and little towns um and yeah everyone there is really friendly it's I've yeah it's a yeah. reputation yeah it's like i i it's kind of blew me away because it's like they're even friendlier than like people in australia and new zealand sometimes like people are really welcoming and friendly and like people are kind of like especially if you have an accent they're like where are you from like what are you doing here do you like our town type thing you know what i mean like they genuinely oh, yeah. care yeah, like, were those people in the city nice to you or not? <laughs> <laughs> not really. But like, I feel like if you go to New York, being having someone be extremely rude to you is part of the experience. Like, I, I was like, fuck yeah, when like someone was like super rude to me in New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like yeah, dude, yeah, New York's got that rep, you know. Uh, Toronto's very much trying to be New York, but uh, isn't because we just don't have the history. You know, it's like uh, Toronto basically just kind of. You know, we got most of our population here in the 80s. It's uh, it was for a very long time in Canada, the second city. You know, the one that's uh, the one that was just the second largest one right next to Montreal. Right. The population boom around that, and that's where a lot of the uh, that's where a lot of the city got built up from. So, like, yeah, I'm sure there's there, there is history here, but it's like not kind of the same kind of cultural history that a place like New York might have, where there's like a, a very you know authentic character there that mm. uh you know like you that like you said you expect somebody to be rude to you as being part of the experience you know <laughs> exactly yeah one of the uh first times i went to new york i live in connecticut and my uh cousin was getting he was moving there i think and so we were driving him to drop him off and um in the uh 
intersections they have there. They have everything like like clearly blocked off. Like, do not have your car in the fucking way. And um, I was like in a green light forever, and then it turned red, and I'm in the fucking way. And so I move off the best I can, this and that. And uh, this lady yells out of the car of her taxi. She's in a taxi in the back seat, and she's like. You should have never left Connecticut. <laughs> yes, that's awesome. Oh, it's so funny. Dude. Yeah, I was just like, whatever. Like, yeah, there's nothing I could do. You know what I mean? It was fucking hilarious. <laughs> that's that, that's funny. Just to, to bring it back to music before we kind yeah. of run out of time here. Um, what are some bands in your area, like local bands, that people should check out? It doesn't have to be like your city, but just like in that in your region, that part of Canada. Like, who should we be listening to if we're not listening to them yet? Oh, okay, in Toronto. <laughs> good question. Only uh, listen to Cromwell. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be that would be the most Cromwell answer, obviously. Um, <laughs> you know. Now that being said, I mean, yeah, you know, if you if you've heard Cromwell but haven't heard Into Oblivion, check out Into Oblivion. Obviously, um, you know our. Uh, Baron uh, does uh, session, does live session guitar, Nuclear Hammer, which you know, those old friends of ours known those guys for a long time. That's obviously you know, more uh, more war metal, death black metal kind of thing. Um, awesome. Anybody that uh, anybody that knows about us, obviously going to go on Metal Archives, see the similar artists and see Possessed Steel. You know, they're they've got the, their own reputation right there. Oh, corrosion. Uh, Oh yeah, corrosive, corrosive. Yeah, yeah, uh, corrosive, so, corrosive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, Kabe, the uh, the other guitarist uh, in Into Oblivion, uh, he plays drums in a uh, in a pretty cool thrash project called Corrosive. Uh, and uh, yeah, they they're just they're cool all over the place. I'd say like thrash metal with a bit of a death metal tinge on things. Um, that that's yeah, they're good. They're a good local act. We're really good friends with those guys. Uh, their uh, singer Rad has put out some, uh, has promoted some great shows and put us on there. Um, Wait, is is that corrosive with a K? Yeah, with a K. Yeah. Ah, uh, they did that album Toxic Apocalypse last year, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's okay. yeah. I heard that. That was good. It's good stuff. Oh, right on. Yeah, right on. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, other local stuff. Um, yeah, you know, it's uh... a. <laughs> <laughs> I think that about sums it up. Yeah, good night, everybody. I'm sure. I'm sure. That, I'm sure. There's. I'm sure. There's something I'm missing. But regardless, you know, I'm sure. Uh, you know, uh, I, I would. Uh, I would mainly point out to point uh, acts like us out and acts associated with us um, as being my main experience of it. I mean, it, you know, the thing is, I guess one of the one of the big things lately is that. Uh, I mean first with uh first with everything that happened back in 2020 you know the uh you know COVID and all of that and then afterwards the fact that you know everybody's got uh everybody has, everybody's got families jobs lives that kind of thing uh we haven't really been gigging as much lately so mm-hmm. we're not like as much in the in the know though we will have some shows coming up for sure now that the album's out uh so our experience with the uh Toronto GTA Southern Ontario whatever metal scene uh, isn't isn't really quite what it used to be you know it's uh you know not that uh you know it's just a, it's just a question of proximity for us so not necessarily in the know about it i mean when it comes to uh when it comes to modern metal again i, I as i pointed out before i've kind of, i've kind of got a uh, i've got a pretty refined filter when it comes to it i've got uh, uh, there's a funny story i think i mentioned it somewhere else um maybe on a 
maybe when Hessian firm interviewed me uh, and Andre, but uh, Kevin, when we, when we did, when we did uh, the trip to Malta, uh, when, because we played Malta doom festival uh, in 2015, I think. And uh, we played, we played the festival there on the plane over uh, Kevin was showing me some stuff. And he showed me uh, this one band infamous who we did, uh, who we did a split with eventually. And mm-hmm. nowadays infamous, you know, well, they haven't been releasing much, but infamous is one of my favorite metal bands period nowadays. Uh, I really like their work, but at the time he showed it to me, I guess I just wasn't really willing to give it a chance. And uh, he, he put the earbuds in my ears on the plane. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm just like five seconds. I'm like, nah, <laughs> I'm like nope and then all of a sudden and, and now they're my favorite band so like <laughs> uh so yeah it sometimes it takes me takes me a while to get into newer stuff i'm i'm definitely hypercritical of a lot of things i'm i'm really looking forward to the new samoth album that's coming up because i've liked everything that they've done um and uh oh yeah that uh yeah yeah just get, getting less into local stuff here just more into general current metal mm-hmm. and everything like that uh, uh our label mates uh, galicia the, their album precipice fantastic absolutely love it uh, i it's, i can't think of a single band that sounds that much like the second sacramento abolishment album like they do uh and and in addition to that only band i can think of that can that actually ripped off a riff from uh well not ripped off but paid tribute to a riff from uh uncanny's uh, splenium for nyctophobia which is a pretty obscure album but the resemblance was <laughs> uncanny uh <laughs> so uh-huh. <laughs> when you said uh infamous was that is that the italian black metal one yeah yeah, cool. yeah from from sardinia yeah those the that the his work is fantastic yeah, yeah. I, i've only heard the one album by him the one from like 2019 with like the mossy forest on the album cover um oh, that, you, you are missing out i highly highly recommend uh uh to the oh yeah you 2009 yeah you're talking about solitude and silence that's the one you're thinking of uh oh. I think, uh you might yeah, be, yeah 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 that's the one yeah that one is excellent uh okay i i really like uh 2013 abyssal uh that that ep is fantastic and then uh uh the return of misery split uh with gratsuk that that one has excellent works on it uh okay but honestly you you couldn't go wrong picking any of this stuff all right i'll do a deep dive because i really need, i only heard the one thing so i need to kind of check out more of it hmm. um brendan is that all of your questions because we're, we're at about time now yeah no we're good cool i'll do my last two then um so this is kind of like a, an ambush question um gonna put you guys on the spot a little bit but if you were, were trapped on a desert island uh and you had a solar powered discman and three cds to listen to until you got rescued if you got rescued um what would those three albums be yeah well interesting anybody want to go first here uh load reload yeah give me a minute to think about that that's tough oh okay i think i can answer this one pretty quick um uh gardens of grief by at the gates uh Kvislisa uh, Taras by Burzum, obviously. And then um, this, this is a tricky one right here. You know what? I'll say uh, I'll say Nesbeth by, by Demulich. There you go. Nice. Great album. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For me, uh, just a quick, quick rapid fire answer would definitely be Slayer's Hollow Waits. Mm-hmm. Um, 
definitely Nesmith as well. I, 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 I thought that too as well, Roman. Uh, my man. Um, <laughs> the hive line, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. And um, you know what? I, I for to change up a bit, I'd probably do like um, uh, Atlantean Codex, Codex uh, White Goddess just to throw something something else in there, but probably those three just rapid fire. Nice. My answer there. Awesome. Uh, I think for sure I would add Summoning's Doll Golder into that for myself, although I can't nice. think of any, uh, two other records. Um, yeah, the third Burzum record, however you pronounce that, would be there as well. Um, That's the same one I said. Record. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And I can't really think of a third right now. Yeah, for me, like the first thing that came to my mind was Altars of Madness by Morbid Angel. That was a really influential album for me. Nice. Um, probably have to go with um mental funeral by autopsy and awesome. uh terra by absu nice great picks cool that's awesome i it's kind of i like doing that one because it kind of puts people on the spot and i like to see what people are like pop out straight away because it, it kind of depends sometimes like talking people what kind of mood they're in when you ask them that question as well and some people are like oh. it does not falter <laughs> same yeah big time yeah mood can definitely factor into that i can see that for sure Mm-hmm. It, it does for me like when people ask me that question it changes but uh last question for you guys is uh if people want to buy your album or uh, follow you on facebook or listen to your album um where like what are the the best places to sort of follow you and listen to you uh well you know you can find our stuff uh you can find our stuff on youtube pretty easily if you look us up we got a facebook page cromlock facebook page uh we have uh, a band camp uh cromlock doom band camp uh and aside from that we just recently got on spotify too nice Uh, so yeah so between all that there's uh plenty of places to uh see our work and get a hold of it hopefully uh we'll have uh you know obviously we got the cds for sale hopefully we're gonna have some other merch out soon we're uh, working on some shirts currently um you know we had some pretty good designs for the first album i think we got a pretty good design for this one uh so yeah you know check out our facebook check out our youtube check out our Bandcamp. you know just look up cromwell and you'll find us easy and download us off of soul seek we're not going to sue you like metallica yeah Yeah, i think uh haitian firm has the album on their um big cartel as well yes yes yeah that's right sweet all right well thank you so much for coming on the show uh great chatting to you guys and i really appreciate you guys taking the time no, yeah, thank you. It was, a, it was a great, great interview. It was great. Yeah, cheers, man. Yeah, thank you. It was a lot of fun. No worries. And for everyone else listening, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll have another guest next week.